The Wiggly Podcast, bringing your garden to life. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. If you want... Start again. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. If you are wondering why you've tuned in, over to Farmer Phil to read out our latest review. The very latest review is from Chris the Courier. Oh, I know Chris the Courier. You do know Chris the Courier. And he's given us five stars. Good old boy. One of the best podcasts out there. Dear Heather and the gang, great entertainment and education. Laugh my socks off. Hope you go on forever, despite Heather telling me off for delivering some stuff to Lower Blakemere instead of the shop. I only went to the address on the box. <laughs> I'm with you, mate. You stand up he to it, Chris. Here, and it and it was obviously leave for the it, warehouse. Leave it. <laughs> so, Chris, where does, he, where does he hail from? They work from Gloucester, don't they, their base? Right. Chris the Courier came and the parcel was for the Woodlands Warehouse. We had a little chat and he said, I'm totally into podcasts. I said, listen to ours, Chris, you'll enjoy it. And so there he is. Hello, Chris. For the rest of you that have been tuned in forever, I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Richard. From, from somewhere. <laughs> Christ knows that. Ignore it. He's just Richard. I'm Richard. <laughs> from... <laughs> He's oh, Richard. <laughs> Can I say? Yeah. Uh, uh, shall we start again? I'm Richard <laughs> from Bugs and Beasties, occasionally of Wiggly Wigglers. Assuming that we should say the same thing, Chris Evans style uh, every week. And I'm Farmer Phil in a supporting role. It's a love thing today it's... because Valentine's Day, it's Valentine's Day. Oh, God, I can't week. gaze into his eyes. It's quite scary. <laughs> Phil and I stared into each other's eyes. That was quite shocking there for a moment. That was a. Oh, God, I feel sick. Uh, you feel sick? <laughs> <laughs> it's a love thing. It's Valentine's Week and our. Lovely florists have been packing and putting together the most gorgeous flowers, not including lilies, not including status, not including what was the other thing? September. Okay. And so there Rich were choice and I, goodies going in though. I yeah, thought. Rich and I have been out to just see what they're up to. Here we go. But first, we've decided to share with you completely anonymously. A few of the messages that we've had in on the Wiggly Bouquets. So, Rich, over to you. It's, it's an interesting Don't one. say who it's to. Don't say who it's from. Uh, I can't say that, can I? No. Even though I know you <laughs> peculiar chap, you. <laughs> Dear Mayo, I love you so very much because you feed me almost every day. Stroke me and let me sleep in your knicker drawer <laughs> where it's all nice and warm. Oh, my fairy love. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> the funniest thing about this message is that Karen, who's just printed out for us, said she had to ring the guy and ask him to confirm his credit card details. <laughs> poor man. <laughs> you poor, poor child. <sighs> Apparently he said it was from the cat. Mm. Here we go, to the floristry. Hello, Flory Laurie. Hello, Lori, Hannah. Laurie's here. No, and Hannah's here as well. And doing some marvellous things, I think, in this, in this uh, shall we say, 
slightly chilly, the packing shed. It's a good reason, because flowers don't like warmth, do they, Flory? Uh, no. Actually, yeah. So it's not just, you're not just being tight, not putting the heating on. It's, to, to, yeah, it's, it's not that. For a genuine reason. Of, uh, so Valentine's not, uh, not Day. Cooking, uh, cooking the foliage. Valentine's Day is on Sunday. See, I agreed, you see. I had no idea when Valentine's Day was <laughs> then. <laughs> Said by a true man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. These, I'll tell you that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> these lasses are busy on putting yeah. together lots of bouquets yeah. with willow hearts yeah. made from um, willow. Can you see them? I can, I can see them, yes. Yeah. Did, did we do something similar to that a while ago? Phil, Phil beat me, didn't he? Phil was better at. Uh, ah, at you making, made a wiggly one. Phil was better at making flower bouquets than I was. Yeah. <laughs> That's what comes of going to public school, though. <laughs> I'm just going to ask them what flowers are in the bouquet. Okay, Laurie, what's in the bouquet today, girly? Red tulips. Red tulips. Purple phlox. Purple phlox. Cream alstroemeria. Cream alstroemeria. Purple iris. Purple iris. Broom. Broom. Ivy. Ivy. Pussy willow. Pussy willow. Dogwood. Dogwood. Red croissant. Red croissant. Eucalyptus. Eucalyptus. (laughs) Rosemary. Not time. Not time. Not time. No. <laughs> Beautiful rosemary. September flower. No. Oh. Uh, so isn't that September flower? That's broom. Oh. White, pink, or yellow. Status. No. Lilies. No. Okay. Anything else? Some crinkly willow. Oh, make it wiggly. Catkins. Catkins. Oh, lovely. Yeah. How many bouquets are you aiming to do today for Valentine's Day? Dear Flory, uh, Laurie? Yesterday we did 40 plus and we're probably aiming to do the same today. Lovely. And tomorrow? The big day, I suppose. Mm, Yeah. Right. I can get ahead today. I can feel that they want us to leave Rich. Yeah. As far as attractive hats concerned, who do you suppose is wearing the prettiest prettiest beanie? I think it's probably, I think it's probably, Laurie's is certainly the prettiest beanie because it has a fantastic little flower attached to the side of it. I vote for Hannah's. It's possibly slightly more practical, maybe. No, Hannah's is more cool and trendy. And, and Laura's is more pretty. Okay, well, well, I'm sure they'll be. <laughs> they want us to leave. <laughs> no, let's go. go. Yeah. Have yeah, a good day. Those are nice. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're There's a lot of colour in here now. I, I particularly like the uh, the pussy willow. You know, that's going to be coming out in the countryside soon. That's uh, something that we can really bring some sort of hope that the weather's going to change and warm up a little bit. So this. Pussy bit on the willow. Yeah. What exactly is it? It's a flower. So it's uh, it's a female flower. So essentially, it predisposes the fruits of the plant. Mm-hmm. But I suppose in this instance, these guys, because they seem to be particularly inundated with little flowers, don't they? They're um, gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I, I wonder if they're. Do you think they've grown in a particular way to make them flower to a greater extent than the ones you might see out, outside? Yeah, naturally? I think they're uh, under glass, aren't they? Okay. Yeah. Some way. You know, you know more about that than me, but I they do look. They do look absolutely beautiful because they come. Where do these come from? Cornwall. The wholesaler buys most of this in Perthshire, right? So I'm not totally sure. So it could be, in the, could be in the. Uh, yeah, he's guaranteed that it's UK, but 
it's probably Lincoln and Cornwall predominantly at the moment. Right, right. Although um, we were phoned up the other day and offered some lovely Welsh daffodils oh, from right. just by Newport. So right. we're going to uh, meet that chap in the car park at Waitrose yeah. next Thursday week. <laughs> so we'll deal. see how we get on. Where'd you get them from? No questions asked. <laughs> I hope uh, he's not been out there with his secateurs in the night. But no. I will know because no his van will say Welsh daffodils uh, or okay. not. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, that seems like a great thing to have with some daffs from Wales. I think so, and I meet him in the car park when I'm picking up Monty from school. That's it. It's good time and motion exercise Absolutely. As well. Come on, Mick. Further you reducing the, uh, the carbon <laughs> footprint of those flowers. Absolutely. Because Monty's got a big And he has yeah, a rugby match walk, just walk. at the moment when the Welsh man is passing by with his daffodils. So it can't go wrong, really. (laughs) Fantastic. So, are you more romantic if you pay for a Saturday delivery? That's my question. Roses are red, violets are blue, flowers are beautiful, and so are you. Dear Mr. You are not a poet. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Dear Heather, having listened to Podcast 209, I feel I need to provide your listeners with some clarification. As the husband of the Wiggly Podcast stalwart, Gillian, do you remember her? I think she wrote Uh, to us from her bed, I think. I listened with interest to her description of herself as a gardener with organic aspirations. It sounds like there's a home truth coming now. Well, I was thinking about this. Bearing in mind this is, you know, Valentine's Day, and this says anon, well, Gillian's husband, it's hardly romantic to sort of dish the dirt, is it? Well, we haven't heard the dirt yet. I'll tell you how romantic it is in a minute. Here we go. I listened with interest to a description of herself as a gardener with organic aspirations. I then pointed out that in her battle against that scourge of the small garden, the slug... She is quick to turn to that most contentious of approaches, the slug pellet. Surely that vibrant blue tinge can't be of vegetable origin. Whilst not wanting to drop her in it, of course, I felt it was only fair to share this with you. Best wishes, Anon. Well, Gillian's husband. You dirty rat! Ah, well, do we know what type of slug pellet it is? Because there are oh. good slug pellets and there are bad slug pellets. Oh, so you see, they're blue. You know, this gentleman needs to get his facts straight. I was going to say, there aren't, there aren't many that I would describe as good in the environmental sense, but there are not-so-bad ones. There are better ones, And certainly. there are yeah. how you use them, which is the crucial bit. Oh, God. You see, this is my frustration, dear listener. Here I am, purveyor of all things gardening, with a perfectly adequate set of solutions to slug control, ranging from copper tape to copper barrier thingamajigs rings to nematodes. Did. Was it Cardiff University get in touch with you about myrrh? They did. Right, and I've how did you... I've got some in my basket upstairs. Right, right. They're just working out how to bag it. Right. That's interesting stuff here, because te- Terry uh, of Walton fame tried some of this, I think it was probably impregnated bram. 
with myrrh around some of his sensitive plants and it worked an absolute treat in keeping the slugs off it. And the other thing, you know, that uh, certainly Garden Organic tried to promote are slug pellets iron phosphate. So rather than using something that contains metaldehyde, methiocarb is also hellish but it's not really freely available. Hang on, what? Methiocarb is a, is a poison. Well, it's methiocarb. Okay, oh. well, <laughs> it's all in the pronunciation. And, and metaldehyde... Well, Michael still calls is Ikea also, Ikea. It's also very bad. Because now you're into my area, yeah. which is metaldehyde <laughs> and methiocarb. Yeah. Methiocarb <laughs> is methiocarb. a nasty chemical, but it's easier to use with less effect on the environment because the pellets that methiocarb comes in do not wash into... They're much more water-resistant. Metaldehyde pellets are the ones that dissolve in water too quickly and end up with the metaldehyde in the watercourses, which is what causes all the problems. Mm. Metaldehyde pellets work in the dry best. Methiocarb will work in the, when conditions are wetter and more difficult. Can you still get uh, methiocarb? <laughs> yeah, they are, they are the premium premium product but they're very right. expensive okay. tomato right. tomato it says anyway but I, I think the best thing is to avoid either of those hellish things and uh, and you know be more creative in your uh, slug prevention management plan wouldn't you say good lord rich so what we need to do is get the old copper rings up well so of course realistically phil's not going to be able to use nematodes like as, as gardeners can in his field because it cost him an absolute fortune Ninety-seven thousand, i think we worked out I reckon the price of wheat need to firm a bit before we get to there. Firm <laughs> is, uh, is, I reckon, yeah, certainly. But uh, as gardeners, we don't need to make a living from our outdoor space. So the reality is that we can be much more imaginative in our, in our approach to eradicating slugs. Right, what are we going to do? What would you do? What do I do? Small garden, says Julian, that's a problem. So she's worried they'll all get eaten. Yeah, they don't get eaten. So you've got all your your barriers. So you've got your scrunched up eggshell and your bran and your wood ash and your oats and things like that. Then, of course, you've got your inverted grapefruit skins that slugs and things collect in at night, which you can pick and and get rid of. Of course, you've got your, uh, if you're feeling energetic, go out on a warm, wet night and stab and and cut them in half or drop them into boiling water or something like that. So a physical picking. Then you've got your nematodes, which... And which you can treat as hunting. uh, Which, which, well, I suppose, (laughs) in a way, and which are incredibly effective, but they do need to be applied certainly three times during the growing season. They are incredibly effective, and you notice the, the benefits of those the year after. So subsequent growing seasons benefit greatly from using nematodes. And things like slug pellets that contain things like iron phosphate rather than metaldehyde or, or methiocarb. Be aware, a listener, go, you know, go into a, a garden centre or, or a, a DIY centre or something like that and it's got bio pellet or environmentally friendly pellet. It's not always the case. Look at the ingredients and then make your assessment, make your judgment based on the, on the ingredients at the back of the bottle. If you're going to use slug pellets... Forget going there because the thing is it's just full of crochet and houseplants <laughs> and uh, scones that aren't quite right. I, uh, I can't remember the last time I went to a garden centre. It's a long, long time ago. Go to a nursery. Plants, nursery yeah. Where the people that grow the plants know what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I hate garden centres. Flipping stained glass now. They've got Who's going to sit down and do that? What am I going to do today? Oh, I'll colour in a piece of glass into different colours in a kit. It's a body. I just... Anyway.
What are you lot on about? Iron phosphate, dear. There are three things I was going to add to the slug issue. You can also use diatomaceous earth, which helps. And the other thing is that when you're trying to protect seedlings and plants growing from seed, don't be frightened to have a firm seedbed. If you make the seedbed firm, the slugs can't move around in it and they don't breed as quickly. So the plant gets away. And that's a key part of our defence against them, that we roll the crop in, have a firm seedbed so that the slugs can't get about. Are you um, insured against slugs? Insured? Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> That'd be nice. But you're insured yeah. against dogs coming and worrying your no. animal. There are some things that insurance can be, but my final point is, and this is, a re- this is quite an important point, is that if you do use slug pellets of whatever sort, whether they're environmentally friendly ones or traditional blue slug pellets, particularly in the garden, the temptation is to put on a small mountain of them round the plant that you want to protect. And that's where problems occur. The, the rate that you need to put them on at is, by and large, far less than you think it is. So just a couple of pellets will be enough. To make the place blue, it'll rain, and then the chemical ends up in the drain where it shouldn't be. Yeah. It takes remarkably little of these chemicals to do the job. If you go out to a field that I've spread with slug pellets, you will have a job to find many. They'll be there, but not many. And if you look in the garden where people sprinkle them by hand round a plant, the rate is ridiculously high and unnecessary. The garden centre loves you because you use up all the slug pellets and go and buy some more. I was, um, I was listening to a well-known gardening show on Radio 4 a couple of weeks ago, and, and one of the uh, Does it begin with panel, GQT? Yeah, it does, oh. yeah. Yes. It, one, of, <laughs> one of the panel suggested that if you put too many slug pellets down, certainly if they contain something like metaldehyde, then that it, it puts the slugs off eating them because they're uh, deterred by the heavy scent of the metaldehyde in the pellet. So by, by sprinkling it very sparingly, you're more likely to bump them off. So that's another mm. reason why... Well, certainly in a field situation, we tend to use a mixture of metaldehyde and methiocarb at a low rate, and the idea is that they will eat the metaldehyde first because that degrades quicker and then the methiocarb hangs around because the pellet will hang together which gives us longer term and because they're small pellets it's the number of baiting points per square metre that we're looking at. Would you, uh, you know, to hum- I mean I know you don't want to necessarily humour me, in fact it's something that you reel against uh, in most instances, but would you perhaps look at treating a- an area with say pellets that contain iron phosphate and comparing that area that you've treated with those pellets with your you know, conventional means of, of treatment to see if there are any real differences in production levels of your crop. There, there are trials being done all the time to do just that. I, I haven't heard about iron phosphate, but certainly the cider apple industry produced an alternative slug pellet that they thought might work, and there were trials being conducted on that based on pectin waste essentially it draws the moisture out of the slug and makes it explode yeah (laughs) but that didn't actually work the real point is to understand the slug's life cycle and aim your treatment at some point in that life cycle that breaks it so that what is a slug's life cycle they just breed (laughs) but if it's if it's very dry they won't if the seed bed's very firm, they won't. Uh, if you can, so if you plant your crop, in about three weeks, 
assuming there's moisture, you'll get the flush of slugs. Yeah, but you water your crops in the garden, don't you? But the three-week period is the same. So you'd never put slug bait on more than once every three weeks for a start, because it's pointless. But if you can, at some point within that three-week period, so after the eggs have hatched and before they've done too much damage, get them to eat the slug bait, then you can have a really good effect in one go. It's when you lose control of the whole situation and you end up having to put slug bait on, the slug bait on, the slug bait on, or whatever other treatment, and you can never gain on them. And that, that's where the problem happens. A Valentine's message from the office. I thought these would suit instead of our spa trip. Not so sure a bunch of flowers would have beat a spa trip for me. Phil, you've got a message. Valentine's. Snap, snap. Get to it. All I can think of is Bridget Jones. Uh, the message is for the 13th. Might be some error there, mate, but anyway. Dear Big Pants, I love you so much. Your flat footed Neanderthal. That's to me then, isn't it? Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> because I got big knickers and you are a flat footed Neanderthal. Maybe, but according. <laughs> According to the name at the top of this sheet of paper, this is not intended for your direction. And it's Nest Box Week. Rich, the thing is, what's about decorated nest box and tin roofs? Because the RSPB say they're no good. Actually, they sell them right. as well. Right. But they said brightly coloured nest boxes will attract predators. And they said that tin roofs make your brood too hot. The expression under a hot tin roof came from somewhere, didn't it? So it's not going to be the most pleasant. But I suppose if you had a, a, a wooden roof and there was perhaps some copper sheeting over the top of it, I mean, obviously that's going to put the value of your next box up somewhat. <laughs> today, the, the cost of uh, copper these days. But equally, that would look pretty fabulous as the copper greens in time. That wouldn't particularly uh, warm up the interior of the nest box to any great extent because you obviously have that buffering of the of the wooden panel underneath it. But if, if I, 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 to be very honest, I don't think I've ever seen a nest box with a tin roof. Oh, there's roof anyway. lots about. Okay, well I'm yeah. a bit rusty. You see, I've not been looking these days. We so just I'm do the traditional types or the ceramic, which right. they also say ceramic's not very good, right? Because it doesn't isn't. hold in the. Well, it's, uh, it radiates heat quite dramatically yeah. as well, doesn't it? So. Do you really have to be this fussy, is my question. I mean, I can see that the really decorative ones without the right size hole and ones that look like they've not been made for a bird aren't going to work. But other than that... Isn't it? I just it's just the most important with the nest box is where you put it, which direction it faces, and how big the entrance hole is. If the nest box is inappropriate in some way in terms of aspect position or whatever, the birds won't use it. Well, I keep thinking that. That's that's precisely right. Which is why often people will say, oh, I've got this nest box. It's been there for three years. Birds have never used it. You say, well, which direction is it facing? um, It's got a snow drift in it. Can the bird get through the hole? (laughs) A a, a really hellish position. And uh, you'd say, well, yeah, actually it is. You know, it gets uh, gets blasted by the winds the whole time. And, you know, the entrance... And, of course, brings up the thought that if if you feed your birds dutifully, do you have to have, on average, a larger hole in your nest box due to slightly porky A rotund tit. (laughs) Moving on. Have you got the next Valentine's message? No, I haven't, but I've got another review. Okay. Now, this one comes from... Tit. All Bear, uh, and he's been gracious, or I'm assuming it's he, has been gracious enough to give us another five stars. What a delight time we have. Now, this is appropriate for Valentine's. We enjoy having Heather and the crew in bed with us. 
Well, we only recently subscribed to Wiggly Wigglers, so I have plenty of backdated podcasts to listen to. So before going to sleep, we snuggle up under the duvet and listen to the adventures you all have. Cheers for all the good advice. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> anyway, nighty-night, all bad. We're nearly finished now. Give your missus a little peck on the cheek or whatever you want to do because it's Valentine's week. It's Nest Box week. It's Learn week. Time for a Montycast. <laughs> a weekly fact on Wiggliness. The Montycast. A weekly fact on Wiggliness. Bumblebees have four wings. The two rear wings are small and are usually attached to the forewings by a row of hooks called hamuli. Another Monty cast next week. Just before we go, last Valentine's messages from all those little wiglets in the office writing out the cards. And the thing is, don't you hate it when you get a printed card? And there they are writing them out. Every now and again they have a little tickle to themselves about the message, but we love having them. And just in case you think we've been completely unsubtle reading them out, those were last year's. Because we couldn't read out this year's because they were so raving rude. Uh, Bye from me. Bye from me. And bye from me. Mrs Sugarplum, you are my valentine. My love, Mr. Sugarplum. I thought these would suit instead of our spa trip. Not so sure a bunch of flowers would have beat a spa trip for me. You're my scrummylicious, me. I can still take a hint. Kiss, kiss, kiss.